Welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn, speaking to you from the Lancet's New York office. Children admitted to the pediatric intensive care unit are a vulnerable group of patients who can often not be fed by mouth. Providing adequate nutrition to these children is therefore often difficult. Today I'm joined by Greet Vandenberg, Professor of Medicine and Head of the Department of Intensive Care Medicine at the Catholic University of Leuven, Belgium, to talk about new and interesting findings relating to nutrition in critically ill children. Dr. Vandenberg, there has been some controversy about how best to meet the nutritional needs of critically ill infants in the pediatric ICU. Could you explain the background of this topic and what the current consensus is? The background of this study is that for a very long time it is known that undernutrition in the pediatric intensive care is associated with adverse outcomes. And as critically ill children are unable to feed normally by mouth, and enteral feeding provided via gastric tube is often not tolerated, this undernutrition often occurs. And experts in the field had, through association studies, reported that the amount of nutrition that was given, if that was not in line or that was not sufficient to reach normal targets, that that was associated with, for example, increased mortality. These experts also showed that if the delivery of prescribed protein was below 60% of the target, that also was associated with an increased risk of death. But of course, an association is by no means a proof of causality, but for decades, this association had been considered to reflect causality, and hence, experts advised the early supplementation of insufficient enteral nutrition with the use of parental nutrition as early as possible after the admission to the pediatric intensive care unit is sort of forceful feeding in children in order to prevent death, mortality, but also to allow for growth because they considered association as proof of causality. But as mentioned, you know, the chicken or egg question association is not really proof of causality. And given that most studies, association studies that were published, were on the use of enteral nutrition, there is really a very high risk of bias. The sickest children or the sickest patients are the ones that don't tolerate the enteral nutrition. And therefore, it could be that it is just the association between the severity of illness and the adverse outcome. Or it could be that, indeed, not providing enough enteral nutrition causes the increased risk of death. And that is what the consensus was until we raised our new hypotheses. And we thought, well, could not tolerating nutrition early during critical illness also reflect an adaptive and thus beneficial response? And if that would be the case, then could there be harm induced by that early forceful feeding of critically ill children during the acute phase of their illness? And this hypothesis was actually based on more basic research that we and others have been doing that showed that the responses to fasting could in fact be linked to healing. And that was the reason why we started to perform randomized control trials to really address the causality in that association. The PIPANIC trial was published in 2016, and you recently published a follow-up analysis in the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. Could you talk about the findings of the trial and of the follow-up study? So the, the PIPANIC trial was actually the second randomized control trial that we performed. We, we initially had performed a similar randomized control trial in adults, the ePANIC trial that was published in 2011, and the PIPANIC, so the pediatric version, was published in 2016. And these two trials had the same design. We compared nutritional strategy during the first week in the intensive care unit. The control group was providing early parental nutrition to supplement any failing enteral nutrition in the pediatric intensive care unit at least throughout that first week. That was what we used to do. That was the, the, the standard of care. And in the intervention group, we omitted that early parental nutrition. So we still tried enteral nutrition as soon as possible. But if that would fail, even fail completely, we would not supplement this 
insufficient enteral nutrition with parental nutrition. That is the group that we refer to as late PN versus the standard of care, which was early PN. And the, the results, the initial results of the trial reported on acute outcomes, on the outcomes in the intensive care unit, and both the adult study and the PPANIC study showed a very important effect on infections that the use of early parental nutrition was uh, causing more infection or withholding parental nutrition reduced the number of infections both in adults and in children with a larger effect size in the children. The use of early PN also slowed down recovery both in the adults and in the children, again with a larger effect size in the children. And interestingly, which is something we, we also later published in the Lancet Child and Adolescent Health, the younger the infants, the more they were at risk for harm induced by early parental nutrition. A larger effect size on new infections and a longer duration of pediatric intensive care units stay, the younger the, the babies were when they were randomized in the trial. So the youngest children were more vulnerable to harm, which is completely the opposite of what experts had assumed. They thought that these young infants and babies would need or would be most requiring additional parental nutrition, and it was quite the opposite. Then we did further analysis on, you know, it's parental nutrition, but that has several components, several macronutrients in, in the mixture. And again, in another analysis, sub-analysis that we published in Lancet Respiratory Medicine last year, we could identify the dose of the protein to explain the harm with use of early parental nutrition in children in the PICU. It was the protein, not the lipids or the glucose. The new paper is, is about the long-term outcome. So there were short-term benefits of not using parental nutrition early, but experts had raised the concern that there could be long-term harm of not using the parental nutrition early in the pediatric ICU. And if that would be the case, any benefits that happens in the ICU would be uh, omitted by or at least overruled by any harm in the long term. And that is why we did this long-term, two years after inclusion in the PPANIC trial, we did a follow-up study. 1,440 patients who were included in the trial were contacted again, and they were compared with matched 405 healthy matched control children. Again, uh, this was a multi-center study. The, the PPANIC trial was a multi-center RCT. There were the university hospitals in Belgium, but also a center in, in uh, Rotterdam, the Netherlands, and a center in Canada that took part in this RCT, also for the long-term outcome analyses. So what we did was we assessed growth in these children as compared to, to the matched healthy children, so height, weight, head circumference. We uh, addressed their general health status, whether they were admitted to hospital, whether they had been diagnosed with illnesses over the past two years. We also did a neurological functional analysis, and, and this was the focus of the trial, we investigated neurocognitive function two years after the randomization in the trial. We did this by neurocognitive functioning as reported by the parents or the caregivers, emotional, behavior problems, executive functioning, but also some clinical tests to cover those functions with numbers. And the results were quite striking. First of all, we found, and we had published that previously in another study, that patients who have been treated in the PICU have a pronounced physical and neurocognitive deficit as compared with matched healthy children. They have growth deficits, they have health-related issues, and again, the focus of the study, they do have a neurocognitive developmental legacy two years after that pediatric ICU stay. We found that the mortality was the same two years later in the two randomization groups, so you know, 
know, we were looking at the effect of the nutrition. Uh, the death rate was the same. But the first interesting finding was that the patients who had not received the parental nutrition, there were fewer of those who were too disabled to be assessed for neurocognitive development. So that was one first beneficial outcome. Then we found that growth was unaffected by the intervention. Also, the hospital admissions were unaffected. Somatic and, and pedopsychiatric disorders were unaffected. But we found a large effect by not giving the early parental nutrition on several neurocognitive outcome domains. The largest benefit was observed for the development of the inhibitory control. And then there were several others one way or another related to this development of inhibitory control, that is working memory, metacognition, overall executive functioning, externalizing behavior problems, and visual motor integration. All these functions were better in the children who had not received the early parental nutrition. And strikingly, four out of these six functions were actually normalized again, which means that that part of the legacy, the neurocognitive developmental legacy of critical illness is in fact explained by the use of parental nutrition. Again, like with the acute outcomes, we found that the protective effect of not using the parental nutrition was most pronounced for the youngest children, the children who were younger than one year of age at the time of randomization. Further statistical analysis showed that this was not mediated by the acute effects on infections or, or duration of, of PICU stay or the use of any drugs in the pediatric ICU. It was definitely a direct, potentially metabolically induced harm to the brain of these children. On a physiological or molecular level, are there any indications of what might be driving the benefits of delaying parental nutrition in these young patients? Yes, there are three, well, at least at this point, we think there are three potential mechanistic pathways by which not providing the early forceful feeding could beneficially affect both acute but also long-term outcome. The one is that there is a very evolutionary conserved and important housekeeping system called autophagy, which is crucial to remove damage from cells with a slow turnoff, like neurons or myofibers as an example. And we and others have shown that if you provide nutrition, most so protein, this suppresses that system of damage removal in the cells. And we've reason to believe from our more basic research that that is part of the explanation of the, at least of the acute effects on weakness and, and you know, rehabilitation that could be very important. Second, we've also shown that the use of early parental nutrition shortens telomeres. You know, the tips of the chromosomes that are important related to age-related disorders, we've shown that the use of parental nutrition really shortens those. Whether this is functionally important or not, we are currently still investigating. And third, there is a reason to believe that the use of macronutrients or the lack of macronutrients, which is also a possibility, could affect DNA methylation and the DNA methylation status, particularly in genes that are important for brain development, could be affected by the intervention and could explain why we see those neurocognitive effects in the long term after the pediatric intensive care unit stay. And this is a study that we're currently finalizing. We're investigating a, a full epigenome-wide analysis of the impact of early parental nutrition on the DNA methylation status and associate that with the functional outcomes that we have just reported. Well, Dr. Vandenberg, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Yes, thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you about our work.